Good morning. Good morning and welcome to chapel here at Goshen College this Friday morning. My name is Bob Yoder, one of the campus pastors here, and I want to welcome you, but especially want to welcome our nearly 100 prospective students that we have on campus today. May you have a good visit here today. Our campus ministries theme this year is Sensing God's Hope, Claiming God's Hope, as displayed by the banner behind me. This morning, our sub-focus of that theme is Claiming God's Hope on this campus. How do we tangibly, practically grasp a hold of such a nebulous, ambiguous vision while daily living and studying and eating and being around each other? Senior Lane Miller will be sharing this morning with us on that theme of claiming God's hope on this campus. Lane has held a variety of leadership positions while as a student here at Goshen, uh, such as resident director or resident assistant. Maybe that was a prophetic word, Lane. Slip up. Resident assistant, student senate president, member of this year's campus ministry team as chapel assistant. And just a word about the set that you see behind me. Um, We thought it'd be a great idea for Lane as he preached to sit on the throne here to my left. He wasn't into that. Um, This is a set for children's musical that's happening at College Mennonite Church here on Sunday night. But also to you as students, faculty, and staff, you also have a part in this morning's service. At the end of the pews or around you, you're going to see small slips of paper, different colored paper, and also crayons. And you might need to share some of the crayons around. But what we're going to invite you to do this morning is to consider ways that you have experienced hope on this campus. In what ways have you sensed that hope? In what ways have you experienced it? In what ways have you claimed God's hope? And on those pieces of paper, we invite you to do one of two things. Either write a word or two that expresses that hope or that story, or draw a simple image, a picture that illustrates that hope that you may have experienced or sensed on this campus. And then after Lane's sharing, we're going to invite you to just simply come forward and place those slips of paper in these baskets in front of me. And later on, we're going to make a collage of those papers and then put something, and then put that collage in a public space so that you all can Go and receive additional hope and hear what you all have shared with each other about how you've sensed or claimed God's hope on this campus. As we continue this morning, I invite us to a time of prayer, and I light the lamp in front of me, as we do every chapel, as a visible demonstration of God's ever-present mulling around on this campus and in this worship space. May we sense the Spirit's activity of hope so that we are able to claim it for ourselves. Amen. Turn with me in your blue hymnal worship books to number 26.
Thank you. Please turn in the green songbook, Sing the Journey, to number five. And let's stand to sing if you're able. Come and be light for our eyes. We'll be accompanied by Tamara at the piano, Tamara Schantz and Phil Schmidt on the guitar. I invite you to sing the chorus with a lot of vigor to match the spirit of the text there and to sing the, the verses with a certain lightness of invitation um, and then back to the chorus with a lot of strength each time it comes back. Um, Tamara and Phil will play through that refrain one time and then we'll sing the refrain and all three verses followed by the refrain at the close. scripture this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The word of God. By the time that Paul wrote that scripture, he had traversed most of the known world and was the most prolific and productive proponent of the gospel alive. And he writes the letter to the Romans in preparation for his impending visit to that congregation. He offers them hope and the hope of the glory of God. It's an inspiring passage, but Paul has not been the only person in history to use hope as inspiration. Thomas Paine in his American crisis during the American Revolution used hope to try to inspire soldiers to stay with the lagging ranks of the army. And Martin Luther used hope as the impetus for his beginning the Reformation. President-elect Obama used hope to win an election and try to build a future. And Martin Luther King used hope during the Civil Rights Movement to pull people towards his vision of the Promised Land. So with hope so prevalent in our history and our society, how do we discern what biblical hope looks like? You can hope for almost anything, but how do we hope in line with the will of God? Let's backtrack a few thousand years to one of the formative events in human history. And it was on the banks of the Jordan River outside of ancient Israel. And next to that river stood the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And on a mountain stood Moses. After uh, slavery in Egypt and 40 years of wandering in the desert, they were finally ready to enter the promised land and get, get what God had decided to give them generations before. And hope was high for their nation. But before they crossed over, Moses lays out a really long book of rules. 34 chapters. I haven't read the whole thing. But in preparing for this, I realized I probably didn't want to. It's thick reading, but it forms the basis of the Jewish tradition. 1,500 years later, Jesus uses that same law as the foundation of his life. And we come to an interesting verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, this was always that hard verse in elementary school that didn't start with blessed and always caught you up or me up before I talked to the teacher. But after my many years at Goshen and classes with Joanne Brandt, I have learned that this is a formative verse in the passage because Jesus goes up onto a mountainside and gives a lot of rules and talks about a coming kingdom. And Moses goes up on a mountainside and gives a lot of rules and talks about the coming nation of Israel. And Jesus and Moses do the same things. First of all, they reinterpret a tradition, a law. Moses takes the law of Exodus around nine chapters and turns it into an entire book of Deuteronomy, including a summary of the entire history of the country, and talks about how we live 
Jesus talks about life and how we live. He broadens the law. He extends adultery to incorporate lust. He talks about murder, but also includes anger. And what they're doing is they're both offering hope for a new reality in relationship with God. A nation, a kingdom, whether you're a chosen nation or the salt of the earth, God loves you and wants relationship with you. Now let me clarify something. Hope does not lie in legalism. It doesn't lie in rules. On the surface, that's what Moses and Jesus did. And in high school, I found the Sermon on the Mount kind of tough to get through because it seemed kind of impossible to do. But in reality, Moses and Jesus both give us freedom. When Jesus broadens adultery to incorporate lust, he's not giving us more rules. He's talking about how lust can break the monogamy of a relationship, can hinder commitment to an individual in the same way that adultery can. Anger does something similar to the heart and to community that murder does. He tells us not to worry and in so doing releases us from the oppression of our daily needs, a very real thing in Jesus' time. Jesus moves the discussion about morality out of the realm of action and into the arena of attitude. Basically, if you're attuned to the kingdom of heaven, not only will you keep the Ten Commandments, but your attitude will carry you beyond to live out an ethic of love that Jesus describes. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, that your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The passage continues, but I'll leave it there. Now let's break down this second memory verse passage. Attitude like Christ. What does that mean? To take the nature of a servant. The servant on the mount talks about service, a life derived from love. God exalts Jesus. Why? I say not because he was killed, but because he humbled himself and became obedient to death. God exalts Jesus for the attitude that Jesus portrays. Now, I've been talking for about six minutes without story or illustration and have said nothing that you wouldn't have gained from your introduction to Bible classes. So here I offer my personal reflections. Now I, due to lack of creativity, entitled this chapel Claiming God's Hope on Campus, drawing heavily from the campus ministry's theme, Sensing God's Hope, Claiming God's Hope. Now with risk of losing you even further, I will continue this without story or illustration for a moment longer. <laughs> My question to you is how do we claim God's hope on campus? How do we stand in line with Moses and Jesus and look into a hope to come, into a kingdom, into a vision of the future? Do not mistake this podium for a prophetic mountain because I offer my opinions very lightly. There are many reasons not to hope. We have a pretty bad economic climate. Who knows how that will affect 
prices, gasoline, even enrollment for next year. There's lots of other depressing stuff from genocides to rogue pesticides and viruses, and those are all bad things. But there are also reasons to hope. Our country has high expectations for our president-elect. We are now internationally acknowledging environmental and sociological political ills that have gone on too long, and that is all good. But I think today that none of those things have any bearing on our hope. Because the nation of Israel was intended to be a nation set aside from the nations of this world. It was intended to be different. And the kingdom of God is to be a community different from the way the world acts. It employs a different mindset, a different set of actions. We are a people active in the world, but not of the world. We are set aside. We are God's people. Now, this college likes to tack the core values onto every recruitment brochure, GC book, and pen that you may come across. Prospective students, you will probably have them memorized by the time you leave, actually. Um, now, these are very important things for us. They guide our college, uh, the way it thinks about itself. They are, in a way, a kind of law. They are an understanding of how we follow Jesus. That is a paraphrased quote from the website. You can go search yourself. Now, I do not mean in any way to replace scripture with core values. What I want to do is, if I can find my place, yes, um, examine our community in light of these things that we hold together and our relationships. I feel Goshen has a wonderful global perspective. We rightly promote a strong social ethic that is very loving, and I want to challenge us to see our core values, our understanding of discipleship and the way to live as more than actions. They do mean accepting the other, fighting against racism, discrimination, sexism, injustice, loving the environment, equality, eliminating poverty, and encouraging socially responsible purchasing habits. The core values and discipleship essentially mean an active peace. But peacemaking is not the gospel. Jesus' offer of reconciliation, his love is the gospel. The kingdom is found not in actions that follow rules or even ideals, but in attitudes. If we focus too much on the former, some important things can be left out. If what we buy or what political issues we support are the scale of our faithfulness, we are far too short-sighted because kingdom living is far broader than that. We cannot let our values become a systematized view of how we intersect the world. What I'm getting at, as plainly as I can say, is we need to own this more on a personal level. Okay. Time for some mild illustrations. To live by an attitude like that of Jesus Christ means that how I talk about the administration and complain about them is just as important as whether I buy from Walmart. And how I talk about those politically different from me when they are not around is as important as loving the earth through recycling or eating grass-fed beef or whatever value you hold. 
Now, in pointing out these inconsistencies, I really point out my own failures and struggles. I don't know what yours are. That is for you to decide and for you to ponder. But I want us to be careful that our social agenda derived from a Christ-like attitude is not the extent of our faithfulness. To be faithful, we must have an attitude like that of Jesus Christ. Now that is perfect love. Jesus was exalted and glorified for it, as the Philippians passage reminds us. And that brings us back to the passage from earlier, that our hope is in the glory of God, or in the attitude of Christ, because that is what God glorified him for. We have to sacrifice to live it out. Maybe we lose face in conversation by refusing to demean the other or the opposition or those we may still believe are blatantly wrong. Maybe it's somehow that's suffering, but that produces the endurance that Tamara read about. And our witness to the kingdom is the character created in us. And this yields hope. Hope for a new reality and a better community. Hope for living together with more integrity for more faithful discipleship. That is my hope for our school, that we can examine ourselves and not live out in the broad realm of only social action, which is an essential manifestation of our attitudes, but that on campus and in our relationships and in the nitty gritty and in the minutia, we can maintain a perspective that it is our attitude and not only our actions that maintain faithfulness to God. And our hope for our community and for living together resides solely there. Thank you. I invite you to, on your pieces of paper, if you haven't done so, Write down a word, draw a short image. We're going to play through some music, just kind of reflectively for a bit. And as you've written it down or drawn it, I invite you to come forward and place it in the baskets up front. And then we'll conclude with a a song afterwards.
Let us pray. God, as we gather this morning, we thank you and lift up to you these hopes. I lift up my hope to you this morning and thank you for it. God of hope, help us to sense your presence with us on this campus. Help me to sense your presence with me on this campus. God of life, help our campus be aware of the many ways you grace us with passion, vitality, and an intellectual mind that stimulate our growth. Help me to be in touch with my own passions, my own sense of what my life is all about. God of hope, make your hope known to us. God of hope, make your hope known to me. Amen. Amen. For our final song, I invite you to turn into your green hymnal, Sing the Journey, number 18. This closing song, an affirmation and celebration, and we're going to, in the verses, have a conversation. Dara Joy and James will sing the, um, the solo part and will respond with I hear music in the air and then join in together with that refrain at the very end before we sing the chorus each time. And they will also be helping us with the drum.